purpose side of me started to grow more and more. And I think that's the, like, what role did work play? To answer that, like, a little bit more into now is it's a huge chunk of time. It's a lot of mental space that you're dedicating towards it. And so as I've gotten older and as I've figured out more what I want, I'm more aligned with like, purpose driven. I want to take my skills and abilities to make a difference. Welcome to Working Your Way, the podcast dedicated to unraveling the journey of being authentic in the workplace. I'm your host, Sandhya Sadhakar, and my guest today is Dan Ryan. He's the founder and executive director of the Inspire MSP, a nonprofit organization based in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. Inspire MSP connects life-changing experiences with historically excluded youth through creative professionals, and they provide exposure to different creative career paths and jobs. Dan is a father of three kids and a husband to a very successful businesswoman, and he works to be present in all areas of his life, including with his family, in his work, and within his community. In this episode, we talk about the two big career pivots he's made and why he made them, being focused on what he can bring to and what he can learn from each new company and industry. We dive into what it's like to create a nonprofit organization with very little industry experience and how he's working to change things from the inside out. I'm excited to share this conversation with you. Welcome to Working Your Way, Dan. I'm excited to have you on. Thanks for having me. So we're going to talk about what you're doing now. But before I want to get into that, I'd love to hear a little bit about some other big career pivots you've made. And what were they and why did you make them? Well, definitely have gone through a few of them that have led me to now. Started my career in corporate America. And really enjoyed that and understood the complexity of working with large teams, large organizations. And that job was exposed to uh, the world of advertising. Really, it was about brand and the impact that brands have. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go from working as a you know, business innovation at a corporation to help building brands. And so it was a significant pivot, but it was through the exposure at the corporation that I decided to just take a pretty hard turn and go into advertising. Yeah. And so what did you know about yourself before making that move? I would say it's probably more what I didn't know about myself that didn't lead me down that path initially. Because mm. going to school for business, I was exposed to advertising and marketing, and I definitely thought it was interesting. But then I pursued a path that was kind of more what I knew based on like, you know, what my dad did, based on what my siblings had done, based on cousins, friends, uncles, etc. It was like, oh, I'll go work at the big corporation. And then in doing that, I found out that there was a little bit more of an entrepreneur inside of me, a little bit more of like, I want to contribute more meaningful than a cog in a wheel. 
I think it's, first of all, fairly common to kind of like grow up knowing one thing, right? Seeing kind of one lens on career. And naturally, we kind of make some assumptions that we might go down that path. What role would you say work played in your life at that stage? The younger I was, the role that work played was helping to educate and also is more of a probably social role than it has evolved to be. It's a fascinating thing to just think about, like what what role work has, just because work and life and the balance between that. You know, the the younger I was, the less of the balance mattered. Mm-hmm. And so that's probably what I would say is role, the role that work played, whether it was at the corporation or in advertising, it, it was less focused on trying to achieve any kind of balance. In a way, I could see it. It's like when we're in our early 20s, work is our conduit to so much stuff. It's like our social life is often tied up in in work, or obviously our paychecks, right? But our sense of purpose, even to some extent, it's just like the thing that we're supposed to do. And so we do it and wrap our lives in it. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's a means to an end, I think in one regard, but it's also our everything in another regard. And you're when you're in a young age, you're willing to sleep on a couch and eat ramen. You know, it's it's different. And then as you grow and food becomes more interesting, you're less willing to do that. So as you went into advertising, what was different about you? What were you able to do differently or new skills that you were picking up or ways that you were showing up at work? I think the most intriguing part of advertising that really sustained me for a long time in the advertising world was the ability to work on different types of brands and projects. So, you know, each month may have been something very different, even if you're working on one brand. And then if you're working on multiple brands or multiple companies, you get to see a huge range of what's out there. And so I had the privilege to work and launch a bank in Abu Dhabi, casino in Vegas, and then a private label candle company. You know, it, it it's this huge range and not one is more important than another. It just was a fascinating thing that you get to dive into what business is. And that's what I really wanted to do when I was drawn to Target, but doing it in a wholly different way in advertising. And so at what point did you recognize that like, maybe this isn't what I want anymore or that you wanted to to make another pivot in your career? I think what drew me into advertising was the ability or the, I guess, when you think about a brand, you think about everything that surrounds that brand, not only the product of whatever they're selling, but like, what does it represent? And so, you know, you're willing to drive past a store that sells the same thing as where you're going and you might pay more because you feel like that brand reflects your values in one way or another. And so in advertising, I had the ability to help create that over time. What I started to see is we were doing that for such, I don't know, like small purposes. So like the purpose side of me started to grow more and more. And I think that's the like, what role did work play to answer the like a little bit more into now 
is Mm -hmm. it's a huge chunk of time. It's a lot of mental space that you're dedicating towards it. And so as I've gotten older and as I've figured out more what I want, I'm more aligned with like purpose driven. I want to take my skills and abilities to make a difference. You could argue selling a few more candles is making a difference, which is great. But that's that's what I, I didn't feel like the brands I was working on and the work I was doing was making a difference to the lives that we were touching. It was very one-sided in the way that's like, I want Sandia to come buy my candles. Cool. What are we doing for Sandia for buying that? Hopefully it's a good product, but I wanted to do more. And I believe there was more out there. Yeah. So then where did you go next? I jumped out of a plane without a parachute (laughs) and left not only corporate world and kind of the fun of advertising and started a nonprofit. Knew nothing about nonprofit space. The nonprofit that I run is Inspire MSP, and it's it's within the creative industry in which I know a fraction of it very well. But there's a whole side of it when you think about sports and theater and museums that like it has been a very quick learning curve. Yeah. And I think the way that you ended up becoming <laughs> the executive director of this organization is a really interesting story. So how did that come to be? Well, when I was at the last agency I was at, it was coming out of the pandemic for, I guess, the first time, the thought that, oh, the pandemic is almost over. It's been a month and a half. And Paisley Park was my client. And in having conversations with the executive director there, it was, how do we draw more people to museums? How do we become unified in the value that we have? And I came up with the idea of, well... Let's call them and let's do something together. You know, they've been looked at as competitors, but if we're all trying to draw people downtown or we're all trying to engage people into something that they've kind of put off, coming together could do it. And so in doing that, it, you know, drew a lot of attention and they were happy with the results. And it was like, huh, if we can actually come together to do this, we could do even more and bigger things. And so at that point, I had started doing a lot of research and understanding that there's, you know, a lot of individuals that have been excluded from having access to any of the creative industry and thought that's what we can do is actually change the industry by being welcoming, by creating a system that is inclusive And that's what we're set out to do and doing it. Yeah. And so for anyone who doesn't know, what is Paisley Park? Paisley Park is Prince's estate. And so it's a recording studio slash home slash production studio. It's a pretty wild place. It does not look and feel like a home, but Prince made it his home for years and for those that aren't super familiar with Prince, even it's, you know, obviously Minneapolis loves to talk about Prince, but, you know, Prince being such an icon in fashion and ownership of music and mm-hmm. having your own rights. I mean, his legacy still plays out with when you see Taylor Swift re-recording music. That's kind of a play out of Prince's playbook. Yeah. So. 
And so what what was Inspire MSP at the time and how has it evolved since then? Yeah, so Inspire MSP was a campaign when it kind of first started to come into the world. And it was a campaign that was intended to draw attention and traffic. Great, it did that. But then as it continued to evolve, it has become more of a system change and much more inclusive of the creative industry than just museums and theaters. So yeah. um, the, I think one of the coolest things has been uh, Minneapolis is a huge creative hub. And when you look at what it does from a jobs perspective, when you look at what creativity does for us individually, how we express ourselves, how we translate feelings and all of that, you know, how we fall in love with brands or, you know, fashion trends, all of that is kind of through the filter of and lens of and machine of the creative industry. And Minneapolis plays a big role in that. As I've started Inspire MSP, and we talk about the creative industry, people tend to immediately jump to what their lived experience with what they believe the creative industry is. So if you've gone to theater and you hear creative industry, your natural inclination is like on stage plays. If you go to music venues, it's that. If you go to a few of them, it, it's that range. But as I've been talking to leaders across the Twin Cities, they have been very intrigued because when we talk about it as both role and place, the interesting thing is you could have a social media person at a nonprofit. You could have the social media person at a theater, at the Twin Stadium, at Target, General Mills, and tiny companies. So when you think of the benefit that all of those organizations would have by building the industry up, like they all benefit instead of defining of it as like, I need my social media person. And so... How do you provide more exposure to creative fields for folks that might not have it otherwise? There are a lot of programs that focus on internships and trying to provide hands-on, tangible, work-related experience, which is super helpful. It builds a resume. It builds relationships. But the line that we use at Inspire MSP that Larry McKenzie, who's a coach here, told me is, you can't be what you can't see. And if you believe that you are a product of the things that you are exposed to, I learned being in Big Brothers, Big Sisters, very, very real that my little brother, Macario, who is six, he didn't see a whole world that was right outside his backyard. And so what we do is we uh, work with sixth through ninth grade kids and we create awesome experiences that become imprint moments in their journey. And they get exposed to different careers, different places. And the day is an imprint. Like I said, it's an experience. It might be the water that they got on the bus because they never get handed water on the bus or the music that they heard on the bus or the cookie. But it also might be the boardroom table that they sat at that they have only seen on TV that really makes them understand that sitting at that table is where they belong. And that can, you know, create 
a ripple of decisions that may not have otherwise been there. Dan mentions the quote, if you can see it, you can be it. And this really speaks to representation, but even more broadly than that, it's about making things tangible to make them real for people. Oftentimes we form our ideas about work from what we see at home growing up. We talked about this with Tiffany Welton in episode 12, or we follow in our parents' footsteps when we're choosing a career path. And Dan mentioned he kind of initially was informed by what his family had done in the past. Or maybe you had a teacher that was really influential in your life and that inspired you to do the same. This happens on so many levels, the inspiration for what we want to be when we grow up. And when we talk about representation, we often talk about it in the context of, oh, I I didn't know somebody like me could have that job. And once I see someone that looks like me or is like me in that job, I feel like it's a possibility. And the way that Inspire MSP is creating this experience is it's more of a, oh, I didn't even know that that job existed. That's really cool. And you create this inspiration. It's creating an entirely new possibility for a child that didn't even know a certain field or job existed. So we dive into this a little bit more next. And we also talk about the moment that Dan left his job to build this organization. One of the things that I think is really cool is just the the range of creative jobs from doing lighting in a, a theater, you know, an off-Broadway for an off-Broadway production to, like you said, social media for a stadium to, you know, fashion and art and like all of these different things. And I don't, I don't know that a lot of people that haven't been to Minneapolis or don't know much about it know that it's like a really rich hub for arts and culture. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I think it's a model that's very interesting when you break the walls of like, oh, we're only recruiting theater people. You know, it's kind of like, well, we've got a guy doing virtual reality at a construction company who actually could go work at an ad agency to build the next virtual world that Nike wants to showcase their shoes in. And if we don't think about that transfer of talent and put up our barriers of industry, then we're missing the opportunity to like find, to enable people in the community to find their passion and their talents. When you bring those passions and talents, the industry change. And so you kind of have this moment of like, what does it all mean? Like what, you know, like I, I'm not maybe finding a deep sense of purpose in helping sell certain, you know, sell more certain products to having this opportunity or exposure to inspire MSP and seeing how it could be something greater than what it already was. What was going through your mind? What was that experience like when you were, I don't know, starting to even think about making a big leap? It was slightly terrifying. I mean, to be... (laughs) To jump, and I said, jump out of a plane without a parachute. And I had been working with a career coach at the time because I did want to change. I did want to Mm. do different. I didn't know what different was. And so, you know, she used the line that was like, Dan, I think you are the type of person that needs to jump out without a parachute. Because if you have the parachute on, there's always going to be second guessing. 
And I found myself at the, you know, juncture of can I go down something that feels comfortable or do I go down this nonprofit route? And I evaluated and like my connections were all in place. And if those connections didn't happen, I could never go back to that nonprofit space. I feel comfortable that I can go back into the advertising world and bring mm-hmm. my my lived experience now back there. But when you have connections into an industry, I mean, I, I joke around with my wife. It was like walking into a room with the lights out and no flashlight, but you don't know the layout of the room at all. So you're like bumping into stuff. You don't know what you're bumping into until you start kind of really being able to evaluate it. So I'd say it was scary and I've bumped into a lot of furniture that I didn't know what it was, but slowly I'm kind of making my way around the room and figuring out what's in there. Yeah. And so you, you recognize like, Hey, if I'm going to make this big leap, like now is the time because there's at least there's some structure, there's some relationships, there's some kind of like, maybe it's like one foot of the path is eliminated and the rest is all dark. And then you have to go into the room and run into all the furniture. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, I mean, I I think to your point, it's like that door was open. So if I wanted to go in and explore that room, that was the time. You know, I, I didn't know if that door would always be open. The advertising door, it's open. The lights are on for at least a good distance in there. And so it was like, Here's an opportunity. The door's open. It aligns with my personal purpose. I believe that I can help the industry with my talents. So time to jump. And I did. How have you at these different moments in your career recognized what your talents are and looked for new ways to use them? Having self-reflection is probably the biggest thing that I'd say I've done personally throughout my career in taking the time to understand, like, why did something happen, whether it's good or bad, taking pause and collecting Mm -hmm. yourself to understand what is it? How do I move forward with it? So with each career move, it's understanding what am I taking with me and what do I hope to get? And what does the compilation of those two, like what you're taking, what you're adding, what does that add up to? Like, where does that put me at the end of that? And if it's at a place that you envision that is better, is, you know, whatever your purpose is, then it's like, yep, let's do it. I think when you are younger, it might be harder to understand when to take pause and, you know, when to not take something too personal. Ironically, coaching basketball for second graders my daughter's on the team and when she came over on the bench i talked to her about something she could do next time she was in there and she got really sad after the game and what i understood is she thought that i was telling her that what she was doing was bad so what we had to talk about is like when you get feedback it's to help you get better it isn't that what you did was bad I think when you're younger in your career, oftentimes you hear that differently. And so if you can take pause and understand how managers or mentors or whatnot are trying to help you, then you take the good and you move forward. Dan's totally right. Especially when we're early in our careers, we can take feedback really hard. And this isn't an issue that's exclusive to early in our careers. 
people tend to take feedback as an inherently negative thing, or they may really emotionally over-identify with the feedback or take it really personally. I had a recent experience with a client who would take it really personally when she would get feedback from her manager and she wanted to not do that. And it made me think about a principle that relates to happy relationships. So stick with me here for a second. But the Gottman Institute is one of the leading voices in healthy and happy relationships. They're usually talking about marriages. And the principle is that happy couples experience five or more positive interactions to every one negative interaction in conflict. Now, we could, of course, say as a manager, you should have five positive interactions with your people for every one difficult or challenging or constructive or critical feedback session, which I think you could apply that. And I think it probably would help. But what if we actually thought about this principle in the relationships that we have with ourselves? How many positive interactions do you have with yourself and how many negative or critical ones do you have? Do you praise yourself? Do you celebrate your wins? How much time and energy do you give to a piece of positive feedback, recognition, or a shout out that you receive? And how does that compare to a piece of negative feedback that you receive? How much time and energy are you giving to that? And what if we started to implement this five to one ratio in the conversations that we have with ourselves in our minds? or in the emotional energy that we invest throughout our day and how much attention we're paying to positive things about ourselves versus the negative. What if you celebrated your wins with just as much focus as you worked on your gaps or the things that you need to improve? And what if you did it five times more? I think a lot of you might just want to pause this episode for a second on this one and reflect. And so this podcast is all about authenticity in our careers. And how would you say that you were or were not your full self in each of these kind of big major steps in your career? The main thing is to understand what is self, I guess. And maybe that's like a big, (laughs) like, you know, but we... This is not a philosophy podcast. No, it, (laughs) it, it isn't. It isn't. But, you know, when you talk about being your authentic self, it's understanding it is It's understanding we are a product of the environment that we have been in and that we're currently in. And you make choices along that journey of what are the pieces that you're going to take with you that adds to that authentic self. That's, I I would say, it's something that happens along your career. It's something that happens in your personal life. You know, who are you hanging out with is part of that as well. Younger in my career, myself, my authenticity was much more aligned to the organizations and the friends I had within that organizations, like we were talking about a bit earlier. The identity and that authenticity was very much tied to the job. When you look at work-life balance, I would say that authenticity for me is a combination of work, life, and community. And how you show up being yourself is the goal to be authentic in all three of those. I like that. And I I think 
it is interesting in terms of kind of like the image that I got as you were describing that is like you're kind of like collecting pieces along the way, right? And it's just like putting items in your cart and like continuing down the aisle. And those all are part of who you are. So kind of going back to what you're doing now, you are leading a nonprofit with nonprofit experience, right? You don't have a long career in this industry, in this type of an organization. And so what have been some of the positives of that and what have been some of the downsides? I think when you get to look under the hood of something that from a distance you greatly admire, you get to see a lot of things that you were surprised about. Um, Some of those surprises have been good and some have been a little like, ooh. I would say some of the downsides are there are systematic things in place that like as an individual, like you see there's something wrong there, but it's like so big and it's been established so long you want it to change right away. When you, you know, ask about careers and authenticity before, like that was one of the things that being in corporate world, you're like, oh, I see something and I want it to change as a 20 year old. And, you know, it's a hard thing to change. So you just kind of keep keep at it. I would say that under the same hood, the most fulfilling thing that has surprised me to a degree is like how many authentic people are out in the world making a difference that sometimes get overlooked, sometimes get celebrated, but I'd argue like not celebrated enough to build a community of people that are out there taking pay cuts, like doing the work that generations from now will find value, like is, is incredible. And you hear a lot of those stories. If you go to galas, you watch videos, etc. But to be on the ground next to those people and to learn from them and to give them hugs and support is like an incredible gift that I've gotten to see and be with. Yeah. And something you didn't necessarily expect going into have that i'm sure it like really affirms in a world where we can like look outside of our window and just feel really disillusioned with how things are it's probably really affirming of humanity to be doing what you're doing it is it is and you know i think the system could all change slightly different you know when you look at the lift <laughs> that nonprofits yeah. do for society it's like well maybe there's a different way we can look at that you know but we'll leave that for our kids and kids' kids maybe to continue to solve. No, I I do think that we can do better for each other every day. Yeah. And then how is this like fresh perspective on an industry, fresh eyes, call it, you know, kind of like blissfully ignorant (laughs) going into an industry. And I say that not in disrespect to you, but like I've done it too. (laughs) It's like sometimes you just like go into the thing and you're like, okay, I'm just going to do this and I'll figure it out. How has that caused you to do things differently? I think proceeding with caution and understanding the impact of those choices. You know, it's like you said, you can like jump in and be like, oh, this is blissful and I'll figure it out. Right. As you're figuring it out, like there are other things and people when you talk about work-life community, 
family, work, life, community, when you're blissfully walking into a new thing in work, that does have impact on family and community. And that has been a journey in being able to navigate that. So how are you bringing things that might not be in the industry today into it? Collaboration is the number one thing that I had no idea didn't exist that makes the world of a difference, which is a simple thing to say because I think it resonates in any city, in any nonprofit world, and for-profit world. There's a lot of money that gets put into community programs, and a lot of community programs have similar goals. But if there is more alignment in communication and collaboration with that, the dollars go further, the impact gets multiplied, and then the community and opportunities kind of unfold. Yeah. And so you're recognizing opportunities to partner with organizations or programs that, in general, people don't often kind of think about working with other organizations that might do something similar. Is that fair to say? Yeah, Even if they've thought about it, it's the action going that additional step to actually try and connect and willingness to have that conversation, even though maybe historically you haven't worked together or maybe historically you do something that's a different shade from one another. So you look at each other as competitor, whether it's in the business world or the nonprofit world, like we're competing for the same dollar. We're competing for the same students. We're competing for the you know, same toothpaste spot on the shelf. Competition is a good thing. I I would say that that's absolutely needed. But when we're talking about people and community and the impact that you could have together, if you align, that's a whole different thing. Do you find that people kind of look at you funny when you propose collaboration sometimes? They're like, why? Why We've never done that before. Why would we do that? Yes, I do. And, (laughs) you know, it's like, why would we do that? You know, and I think that's a person that typically looks at that as like a zero sum game. When I look at it as like a multiplier, you know, this is you, you all can win. There's an article that I read by Michael Porter, who, you know, he's developed a lot of business theory. And I I can't recall when exactly he wrote it, but it was over 10 years ago, where he talked about, you know, shared value. The idea is, if each person within kind of a supply chain, for example, or within a business can look at who are we trying to benefit? And what can we do along our journey that not only benefits us, but ultimately could benefit those that we're serving or just do something better along the way. Whether it's making a slightly more high quality product or reducing carbon emissions or whatever have you, there can be a benefit where not only the organization will thrive more, but those, whether they're customers or people you're working with in a nonprofit can actually benefit as well. It's an interesting thing because we use the toothpaste example, right? <laughs> that's that's the world that I came from. It's the world that you came from. To think like Crest and Colgate might say, really, at the end of the day, we just want to make people's 
mouths healthier or like have them have healthy healthier teeth like let's figure out how we collaborate to do that i mean obviously there's probably some like sec like you know regulation that would prohibit that from happening but when you then turn when you turn the toward turn toward the purpose it's like yes we're doing similar things and we're competing for the same donors, but like, what if we work together toward this actual purpose, right? It's like such a wild thing to think about when it comes to like the product space or like traditional commerce. But then um, you take that into such a purpose-driven space, like it's it's different. Right. And I, I mean, I think you can look at that as employment. You can look at it as like the product and the pricing that you offer. So to use the toothpaste example, to go one step further, you know, like this idea of shared value might be that you give toothpaste to, you know, a group of people that can't afford that. And they start using their toothpaste and they're they're strengthening their teeth and they're buying into your product, you know, and somehow that smile leads them to being able to afford or when the day comes, like you've created that relationship and now you've created a loyal ongoing customer, you know, and it. It's just the idea of like you're investing in the community and that community then comes back and invests in you. And I believe that Mm -hmm. with Inspire MSP, that's at the heart of what we are doing is we're saying we want to have a more inclusive, diverse workforce. We're saying we want to, you know, have our arts and our creative space be fully reflective of the emotions and the life journey of everyone in it. But when we're not investing in those that we are talking about, then we are not truly going to benefit as an industry over the long run. Deanne points out, when you have a social mission, the traditional ideas that we have in business about competition and market share kind of go out the window, or at least maybe they should. And I'm sure this was a huge change for him. And interestingly, probably having that stark contrast was one of the things that caused him to say, huh, why are we all working away in our own silos and not all working together toward this shared mission? Not having worked in the nonprofit space myself, I don't really know, but I have to imagine that there's some level of power dynamics at play here and that different stakeholders in this world want to maintain the power and the access that they do have, right? This is just part of systems and structures. Anytime there's a reluctance to collaborate and share, it often comes from a scarcity mentality of there's not enough to go around, whether that's funding or some other type of resource. But to Dan's point, there's this kind of virtual cycle that can happen when you center the mission. More people benefit more people come back to contribute to moving toward the common goals, and then more resources and opportunities follow that. And if I know anything from my grad school classes in change management, it's that it takes a lot to change a system, not just in the tactics of the system, but in the psychology of how humans operate that can often create barriers to change. I appreciate how he's going into a new space and frankly, using this privilege to ask the questions that haven't been asked, or at least the ones that haven't been asked in a while. And speaking of questions, let's get back to the conversation and talk about Dan's perspective on work and fatherhood. How about becoming a dad? 
this is going to be like way too big of a question, right? Because it's like, how how has fatherhood impacted your career and your relationship with work? And like, maybe let's start with how how does that impact your relationship to work and what role it plays in your life? Well, I think the very first thing that happened when I became a dad was you look at those who are parents around you totally differently. You know, I I am probably guilty as charged being like the the young corporate person that's like, why is Tom leaving early to go to his kids' baseball game when we got stuff to do? I am very much Tom now in in, <laughs> in that regard. You know, the question of like, how has you know becoming a dad changed essentially my relationship to work? I think it's it's that idea of we will never create a work-life balance and it's understanding that it's not trying to achieve some kind of unachievable, perfect balance. It's about understanding the items in which you are juggling or balancing. So like I said before, work, life, and community are the three big buckets that I need to pay attention to. And the role that those play together are not like all three of those I have to do. I have to work. I live in a community and I have three wonderful kids. All of them need different attention from me at different times. And so it's the ability to go look at those and understand who needs attention when and why. Yeah. There's a part of your career that you were considering doing something related to parenting. I'm just curious, like, what are some of the insights that you've had about being a working father that are things you are really passionate about? I think having a father involved in the life of their kids is significantly important. And when I look at what I'm doing today and the ability to bring my talents to 800, you know, kids across Minneapolis, St. Paul, you know, I'm not involved in their day-to-day life. I'm not. But if we can do one thing that kind of brings that connection closer, that's awesome. But when I evaluate kind of the landscape out there, it's juggling working with a professional wife who also wants involvement in her job and family. And it's working together in that communication and understanding where does that balance happen. And so, you know, I, I bring the Inspire MSP kids up because it's it's the ability to extend the insight that I have of the need for somebody to just show a passion for a young person and then applying that to my own kids. Sometimes you have to put work on the shelf and really be authentically there. There's huge benefits in dads doing that to their own kids across the board and for, for young females especially. Part of the insight that led me down the almost path of starting kind of a side hustle, consulting with dads in the working world, is that there is a corporate narrative or understanding that, like, yes, women working in the workplace is great, but there's like this, so what are you going to give up? And there are a lot of men, I believe, that don't want to give up their place of privilege to the five o'clock dinner train and hot mess of bedtime. And 
companies aren't really saying like, yes, you should do that. It's a huge generational impact. And if companies did that in the same way that they see the awesome benefit that women in the workplace make the workplace a lot better, you know, it, it's this idea that work and life are connected, like it or not. Yeah. Yeah. What's next for you and what's next for Inspire MSP? I will always be trying to follow a purpose-driven journey. I, I think as we started the conversation, being young on the couch, eating ramen and trying to figure <laughs> out which bar we're going to go to with our friends at you know, the corporate America job, when when you kind of talked about what role does work play when I have family and all that, I would say for me, it's what role does family play with work, right? I feel a strong duty having kids that will go forth well beyond me, that the way that we raise them will be the thing that they bring to the world. And so what's next for me is, always something that can show my kids that I'm proud of what's going into the world and to find the teaching moments and the calms and moments to have those conversations with, with my kids. I do, I do something. And I think we've talked before, but the idea that every night when I tuck my kids in, I like feel their hands and it's a, just a very tangible reminder that like the future generation of people are coming up right now that are going to do the work for the next generation and the next generation. And so what we do does matter. You know, how we show up to work, how we show up when we get home from work, like it does matter. And that's what I will be doing. Inspire MSP will continue to grow. I think what I really want to do is start to challenge some of the things that you find under the hood and and poke at a few things and see what change can be made now and what change can we start that will continue to be made with you know the next generation or maybe a larger group of people because i just i don't believe that saying no just because that's what's always been done is a good use of time for anyone and it's not a good reason. It sucks, actually. No, just because that's how it's been done. Well, cool, because you're lazy. You know, it's like, how can we drive change if we're just trying to always find comfort zones? And inherently, by coming into an industry, I think, with a total outsider's perspective, like, not only, I think, can you serve as a change agent, in the community and in the mission of Inspire MSP, but also within the nonprofit space and how things get done in that space. So I'm excited to see where that goes for you. I definitely don't have the history of like, I ask why a lot. I grew up asking why a lot. That was like <laughs> the question that my aunts and uncles hated. Why, why, why? But when you come into something fresh and you know, the, the lights are off in the room that you're walking through, you have the ability to ask why, because you don't have the preconceived notions. You don't have the false walls already put up. Like you have the ability to, to break some of those and you have the ability to look at something different and approach things differently. 
I believe that's what gets others out of the comfort zone because they've lived in it for a long time or came up in it for a long time. And some people are really excited about that. So it's linking arms with those people and continuing to move forward. Yeah, there's an element of like infusing some new energy into a space where people are probably just pretty tired. Like they've tried to change it in the past. It's been really hard. And so it's it's oftentimes I would assume nice to have someone like you who's like, no, we're going to continue to ask why. And, and, you know, I'll bring some resources to that that question and and push it farther. So is one of your kids the why kid? Yes. Yes. My oldest, it's, you know, payback's a bitch, I think is the the line. And I, I just tell myself, I will love that he's asking why when he's like 25. Exactly. He's gonna, he's gonna be a little change agent. <laughs> yes. yes. You know, and I, I, I think, you know, authenticity is important. And, and, you know, what, what have I done to bring that authenticity forward? I mean, I think, part of it is like the elephant in the room. It's the white guy that's coming in to save the day. It's like, that's very much not what I'm trying to achieve, but I need to understand what is a mindset of someone like that? What's an acknowledgement of where I've been, you know, the things I've picked up along the way and understanding that that's been a privilege that I've had and what's the role of my privilege moving forward. And I think that you know, in that space, in this nonprofit space, working with the students that I'm working with, working with the community that I'm working with, it's really important to understand your role, to understand what it is that you bring. And and that role for me is like a vehicle, not the driver, not the navigator, not the passenger. And if I can stay authentic to that, then authentically we move together, you know, arms linked. And so I get to learn a lot about about people, about processes, about history, about everything that that I need to listen and I need to understand how to translate that. I need to have that pause, like we talked about earlier. Yeah, using your privilege to to take things to places that they might not otherwise be able to get to. Yeah. Yep. So that's that's been a you know a certainly not super easy. You know, you have to be willing to kind of unpack your own privilege, unpack what white male privilege is. And you have to live in a space that like you're OK moving forward with whatever that acknowledgement that you come to is. But you also at least the way that I look at it and I would say anyone that watches this, like there is not ever a spot that I would say you're done and you've done it like celebrate. I think that there's always room to grow and to learn and to meet more people. And when you acknowledge that you have different lived experiences than other people, regardless if it's age or gender or race or identity, like there's more that we can understand about those in the community that we live. And if we don't take the time to understand that authentically, then we can't take the time to really address the things that we see from our own lived experience. Would you say that growth is a core value of yours? Yes. The theme, right, of your career, kind of, it's like, how, uh, what else can I learn? Like, where else can I go to learn something new? Yeah. And I think it it's understanding, you know, some people might look at growth identified 
strictly with a paycheck. Some people might look at growth strictly identified with a title. And when we talk about what's authentically me, it's neither of those. You know, it's it's more about at the end of the day when I'm tucking my kids in, what have I done? What do you think will be your next area of growth as a business person, an executive director, the career person that you are? I want to understand more the intricacies of decision-making. That's like a big statement, right? But, you know, there are decisions that get made within corporations, there are decisions that get made nonprofits and in government. And I think that Mm -hmm. there are a lot of dynamics there that have historically set the way that those decisions get made, some slow, some fast, to, to grow and to understand what's driving the slow and the fast and what is the process. So whatever that looks like, I'm not running for office because I feel like one of the things that's like, no, I'm not, I'm not running for office, but. This is not the beginning of your political career. No, no, but understanding like, you know, politics more from a like decision matrix, you know? Yeah. And, And I think understanding where those decisions are made will only help me understand like what walls can I bring my privilege to break down. Yeah, it's like a a web of process and people, <laughs> right? <laughs> that lead to all of these things and influence and fear and lots of things that contribute to why things are the way they are. Right. I mean, and when we talked about you know, like that evolution of self and understanding of what is authenticity and, you know, and I was, and I was saying, well, you have to look back and, you know, it's very philosophical, right? But like my talent is I love being around people. I enjoy building those relationships and connections. So what I need to understand in my growth is where can I take those connections? How can I use them to continue to grow, not in my own only career, but community. And so that that is where I'm at in my journey there because I, I wanna be able to see how can I continue to push relationships to not only benefit me, but the work, the community and family. Yeah, I think when you can understand a system from the inside out, you then can figure out how you can push the boundaries or break the rules or make the changes. So I love that. Yeah, I'm not going to do it through drawing or singing. That's for sure, because those are not my talents. <laughs> but that is what you're going to help others discover their love of. So, yes. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you, Dan. Speaking of children, I'm sure yours are waiting to tell you about their days. So I appreciate you being on. Thank you so much for spending this time with me. Thank you so much. I'm excited to see Dan continue to be a change agent in such an important space. I think that we can all do more to look for places where collaboration can actually help move a mission forward instead of it being a threat to the stakeholders or the individuals involved. And we'll include a link in the show notes to find out more about Inspire MSP. And one of the things that I dived into in this episode was how we receive feedback, not thinking about it as inherently negative, And more importantly, considering how we're internalizing it. And I can tell on myself a little bit here, I'm not great at stopping to celebrate my wins. 
oftentimes I'm thinking about what's next or what's the next thing that I need to do or the next thing I want to accomplish. And because I'm not stopping to celebrate those positives, the failures tend to carry a lot more weight because of the energy and the attention that I'm giving them and just how imbalanced that is with the energy and attention that I'm giving to the positive things that I do. So I think each of us can take some real steps toward finding a better balance in this area. Something we can do as we start to balance the positives and the negatives is really think about self-talk. And positive self-talk, meaning having these positive interactions at a five-to-one ratio with ourselves, we can definitely take note of where we have a lot of negative self-talk. And two kind of tips, if you are finding that this is the case for you, one is trying to talk to yourself in the second person instead of in the first person. And this is evidence-backed that this actually works really well in stressful situations, that instead of saying, I did this and I did that, if you talk to yourself and say, you did this and you did that, it actually helps us take a step back and see things a little bit more objectively. It can help us kind of detach from the situation or depersonalize it, but it also might help us notice where it sounds very different to say, I'm not smart versus you're not smart. And this leads me to my second point, which is talking to yourself as if you would talk to a close friend. Just by making that shift from first person to second person, it feels like it's a lot easier to notice where we're being really mean in our internal dialogue. If you had a close friend that made a mistake or really messed up on something, would you talk to them the same way that you talk to yourself? And so if you can start to notice where that internal dialogue might be skewing toward the negative and maybe implement a couple of things to soften that, in addition to paying more attention to the positive, I think we can start to shift this balance a little bit. So I'm gonna link two articles in the show notes. One of them is about this five to one positive to negative ratio from the Gottman Institute. And the other article that I'm gonna link is about the power of positive self-talk with some statistics. And it's a great article. It's got a bunch of different examples and practices that you can experiment with. And maybe you find one that you really like and you can implement it more regularly. Thanks so much for listening to Working Your Way. Make sure to follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. You can also check out all of our episodes, show notes, additional resources, and more at selfatwork.com forward slash podcast.